Good morning, good morning, Arj. How's it going? Good morning, Samana. I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very excited for today. Thank you for cool. coming on. Likewise, my pleasure. Thanks for having us on. Right, so before we get into the nitty-gritty of all the questions that I've well prepared ahead of this, <laughs> um, let's talk about your performance coach career, the fact that you, <laughs> we say 17 years, as I've been updated <laughs> and corrected, um, you spent 17 years so far. Um, let's talk about your experience because, um, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so um, I actually fell into sport accidentally. Um, I was a keen sportsman myself, but my goal was to basically become a lawyer. Um, and I thought I'd just get a part-time job as a coach in a little local leisure center and found myself within a, a training group for GB. It was completely accidental, but I loved it. And it basically came time to choose my studies, you know, finish my A-levels, go off to university. And I, I, basically negotiated with the principal that I didn't have to turn up to college classes, any of these things, because I wanted to go and coach. And it was a really good career opportunity for me. And it it basically spiraled from that moment in time. I remember informing my my grandparents, like, you know, no longer am I going to be the lawyer. I'm going to be this sports coach. And in their eyes, I was just I was just going to basically play football for, for a living, um, which it wasn't. But from that point onwards, I suddenly realized I had this real passion for, for supporting people. And my journey went from helping novices right through to Olympians, people who went to London 2012, to the Commonwealth Games, these kind of things. And it really, really inspired my journey to kind of take a next step up. I did my, my degree at Loughborough University, you know, this notorious sports place. I was lucky enough to be there, worked hard to get there. Um, and then I did my postgraduate qualifications. I really buried myself into understanding the science behind everything whilst also understanding what it's like to to possibly not be good enough to make it but you can try really hard and that kind of took a real in your face turn in in 2012 when um I basically started a a program or a project with a, a good friend of mine called Dream Decathlon and we had this concept could you become a, an Olympic decathlete in 4 years because by this point I was pretty much too old for, for making the Olympics like a normal person would have. Um, so it was this big project and we had some really, really cool and big names supporting us. Um, we sat down with, for dinner with Denise Lewis, Olympic champion at the time. We sat down with um, Carl Lewis's coach. We had Lauren Seagrave. Loads and loads of really big names became really interested in this project. Um, and what we later discovered was because it seemed completely absurd and, and a ridiculous concept. Um, unfortunately, we didn't make it. I actually ruptured my Achilles um, about two years into the journey. And from that point onwards, it was it was a no-goer. But the kind of learnings that I gathered from that experience, particularly actually injuring myself, helped become or helped me become a better coach and supporting athletes and youth athletes. And to be honest, just just your everyday kind of weekend warrior, that type of person. Um, and from that point onwards, I then wrote a couple of university degrees. I worked as a university lecturer. I worked in the leading nutrition consultancy in the world um, and had some really good opportunities along the road. And then about five years ago, my business, Performance Physique, um, went, went full-time. And the concept was, could I utilize these um, kind of skills that I developed for how to become an elite athlete? Could I actually make them fix uh, an average Joe, 
I felt like we treat elite athletes very differently to the, the way we treat individuals who are just at home looking to be fit. And I actually believe still to this day that we can just implement those same concepts within everyone to help everyone's performance, whether that's mental well-being through exercise or whether that's, look, I really, really want to improve my 5K or want to improve my squat, whatever it is. There are things that we kind of withhold from the general public, which I don't think is fair. I think knowledge realistically should be available to as many people as possible. And, and that's how I, I launched Performance Physique. And now we're a small team uh, working mainly in Birmingham, but we actually work online using you know great technology, um, allowing us to support people all over the world. That's amazing. <clears throat> that's really amazing. Um, you know, I think, well, Firstly, we've got you on the show today to talk about one topic that we're both very, very keen to discuss. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, how we can overall enhance our performance, mind, body, spirit. You're a huge advocate for mental health and well-being and making sure that we can really get the best out of our body. Mm. But from a guy, because this is where I think the perception um, is completely different, what would you say as a performance coach and as a male coach, how can we get the best out of our bodies during our monthly cycle? Yeah, it's, I often get asked why I'm interested in this topic, actually. Um, and it, it's, I think it all stems back to basically being just really curious and interested in right. what makes performance occur. And is there a difference between men and women? And then also, you know, I was, I was very closely brought up with my mum and, you know, she instilled her, her values in me to, to really appreciate and respect women. And it, it surprised me realistically that we didn't discuss this topic, you know, on an open platform until a couple of years ago, maybe even this year um, with people like Dina Rasha Smith on the main stage, you know, struggling with her menstrual cycle. And I think the, the most important single message your listeners could, you know, your viewers could go away with today is that it's just about understanding your own cycle. So understanding what happens in your body at different parts of your, your cycle. Um, and it, a key aspect of that is tracking your cycle. Um, as a male, I obviously have no experience whatsoever of doing that firsthand. As a coach, however, I have plenty of experience in supporting other women, whether they're elite female athletes or whether they're actually just trying to make themselves a little bit healthier and happier through exercise and eating well. The impact of understanding what happens during the cycle and when to capitalize on it has really made some differences. I'm, I'm sure we can get onto some, some tips that we can give your viewers after this. Hmm. So <clears throat> you've brought it very closely with, with your mum, right? Why do you think there's still such a taboo around this subject, especially for guys to talk about it? You know, for women, it's a little bit different, woman to woman, especially if you've got sisters, that's great. But for a guy, why do you think there's still that stigma attached to it? I think it's you know? poor education. Uh, you know, yeah. we, we discussed a, a few moments ago, didn't we, just before camera went on um, about the importance of education and and don't get me wrong I, you know I was in a nuclear household I had a, a dad a mum an older brother an older sister and we didn't discuss it at all you know it wasn't it wasn't a thing it was just um, it was it was a case that I would speak quite openly with my mum about other topics mm. um, but when I got to university and, and I didn't 
followed the normal route to university. I went as a mature learner. So maybe that made a, a big difference. And it was only at that point did I see the topic of the menstrual cycle discussed. And it actually was in relation to something um, which used to be called the female athlete triad. And that was basically the risk that female athletes have of losing their period. It wasn't spoken about in any other context. Um, so a lot of coaches would use certain strategies for their athletes, and it still, I'm sure, happens today, to get their best out of their female athlete. And therefore, these these poor women would basically lose their their periods for extended periods of time, which is which is not a good thing, obviously. Um, and it was again, sorry, go on, Samara. Oh no, no, no! I get kind of a little bit overexcited. Sorry, I just had to jump in there. So you're you're. So the method would be to suppress this, right? Is this through medication? Is this through like um, poor, not I say poor eating habits, but really just limiting um, your calorie intake? Yeah. Uh, overtraining methods. What, what? How does this even happen? Yeah. And is it was it, was it legal? Firstly? Yeah, it, it, it was that. It's um, it's probably due to a poor understanding of physiology in the past. It's not necessarily reflective of coaches these days um but in the past and not the too distant past it was about getting your athletes to be as light as possible because you want all of that 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 body weight basically to be functional and when you drop your body fat percentage and you under eat calories for extended periods of time and you don't provide adequate rest and nutrition you will effectively lose your period it's not that missing one period is is catastrophic. It's not a good behavior and a good habit to fall into, though. Mm. Um, and that's definitely something you know we should all walk away from today understanding. But it's basically those practices existed, and unfortunately, lots of these young women they want to make it, so they're not going to turn around to their coach and say, "Oh, by the way," or you know, if their their coach is a 50, 60, 70 year old man how comfortable would they feel really saying, oh, by the way, such and such, or I've lost my period this month. I, I don't know what that would feel like. I was a really brash, arrogant, six foot, 300 kilo male. So <laughs> becoming a, a young athlete at that time, I was quite happy to say anything to anyone. Um, but as a, as a 50 kilo, 45 kilo, small 17 year old female athlete, I'm not sure. Mm. And therefore that was the main reasoning behind it. There have obviously been, strategies in place and these are, are usually I would say speaking anecdotally are kind of agreed between two parties that I will try to avoid um, having my period during the major championships this year and therefore use contraceptive pills basically to to manipulate the the time period um, but going to the the kind of rudimentary fact of it it was just this overtraining and undereating, which caused the loss of, of periods. And then that says a lot, really, that I I basically learned about the menstrual cycle from that aspect rather than the aspect of this is the menstrual cycle, this is what this is what occurs in the, the female human body, and this is what occurs at these times, and this is how we maximize it. It was only in the last 10 years as I went and educated myself and worked within really prestigious kind of setups within coaching and nutrition did I fully understand and fully learn how to maximize the menstrual cycle rather than thinking of this this thing that we have to just avoid you know mm. disrupting um so education is the key thing and 
I think people like Dina Asher-Smith, who spoke so vocally and so loudly about the topic this year in uh, in the World Championships, I think it was, um, have really helped. And I think there's, there is a case that, you know, boys just get really shy talking about this topic because no one ever speaks to them about it again and again and again. And I, I have a teenage group. I have a teenage group on a, a Friday night and we put the, the big stereo on um, and we pump out some music and we train really hard out on the track in the pouring rain. And I make sure it's really important that during that time, we basically talk about all of these things in a really casual manner, mm-hmm. trying to educate these 16, 17-year-old boys that, you know, some of the girls that they're lining up on the track next to that day will be feeling really miserable. You know, it's really uncomfortable, I imagine, as a male, but really un- uncomfortable being like, I'm on my period right now and I've got to go and train next to this person and this boy's going to make this one comment that might upset me, might annoy me. So I th- I felt it was my job as a, as a coach with access to these teenagers to try and educate them. And I think that's getting back to your original question. I think that's the problem. People just aren't educating males early enough in order to um, to, to make a change. And that's that's my job. Mm, I love that. I really love your sincere honesty in your approach to it. And, and also, like if we look at these 16, 17 year olds, you, you also have to look at like their background. How open are these discussions and conversations around yeah. women's periods in their own household? Right. Yeah. Um, and I interestingly, I, I was on a forum before I came onto this chat, this, this podcast with you. And um, it was interesting because I was, I was reading um, a comment that some woman had made about asking her partner to go to the shop and buy some mm. sanitary towels like tampons. And then I, was, I always find it quite interesting <laughs> to actually read the comments and the replies. It's dangerous, and then, isn't it? It really is dangerous. You get so you kind of get yeah. like it's like such a distorted view of the reality. But okay, if we go back to the reality, it still is very much a taboo subject and asking so your partner, your male partner, to go to the to the shop to, to get your tampon or whatever it is, it's like, absolutely not. I wouldn't even dream of even asking. And I then said. the backlash of that, the comments and the replies, it's like, well, you know, your partner can't truly love you. I mean, like, what era are we living in? Which is true. I mean, I think times have changed. We need to encourage these discussions more. Yeah. Um, but it is back to the education, isn't it? And I think it is. I've, yeah. I've just got to say, Samana, you know, what you said there about um, the comments that that person interacted with, um, when when all of this happened on the sports field this summer with Dina Rashes Smith's comment, mm-hmm. I am um, you know I, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I think that's the terminology, and um, I did the dangerous thing. I went on Twitter and I wanted to see what people were saying, and I am actually a really um, diplomatic person and I know never to get involved. But I couldn't couldn't believe some of the comments that um, so Ailish McColgan. She basically joined forces with Dina Ash Smith and said, you know, I'm I'm experiencing this as well. Mm. And some of the comments they were receiving from men initially, but more hurtful really were were women saying, Oh, well, I have a period and it's never affected my performance. And it's like I I couldn't believe that this mm. this was a comment even coming into their head. But I literally I couldn't hold back. So I just just started answering as many of them just with the the word, No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. And waiting for people to 
to snap at that and then just list all the physiology behind it. Because what occurs during you know, these 28 days, 35 days, whatever the length of the cycle is absolutely mind blowing. And it just makes me kind of more appreciative of the fact that, oh, wow, I don't, I don't have to go through all of those sensations and those feelings. Like mm-hmm. if you put a, put a female athlete's menstrual cycle into their training plan. So we, we write um, training plans, which are between 12 months and four years long. So imagine me saying to you, so Dina Asher Smith had the Olympics she started that training program four years in advance of the Olympics. So the Tokyo, 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 Tokyo 2020 Olympics, which actually took part um, in 21, they would have started writing that in 2016. And as part of that, I'm sure they would have done this, worked out where her menstrual cycle will land. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine structuring the next four years of your life around this occasion, which might occur over five days or whatever? It's, it's mind-blowing. I just couldn't believe the ignorance that people responded. Um, but, yeah, it's ridiculous. It absolutely is. I think that, that the whole sisterhood concept really gets thrown out the window. Yeah. It's just absurd. <clears throat> so, excuse me. Like, I mean, I'm not saying I can accept it from guys because men are programmed slightly different. But from women to bash other women, yeah. I mean, that is just that's just nuts to me. It's crazy, isn't it? It's really crazy. Um, so if we look at, because you're on about strategizing, right? And yeah. I never knew that it would be, say, four years in advance. I mean, because there's so many things that you have to take into consideration. You have to account for maybe either weight loss, weight gain, um, the, the, the cycle itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, there's just so many factors to take in, you know, like that would affect your performance throughout that four-year period so if we look at your new program that you've just launched it's called four weeks and four kilos is that right yeah that's right four weeks four kilos um that's basically a an aggressive dieting program um we've had about six six launches or so of of that program over the the last couple of years Mm -hmm. um and the the big one which is coming up is going to be the the January intake of that. Um, we tend to run a, a, about two every single year of, of four weeks, four kilos, and it's it's a it's a different approach and it's a completely different methodology to what people perhaps think of as dieting. And you know, before I I kind of open with what dieting is or isn't, there is obviously a big movement the the anti diet movement. You know, we shouldn't we shouldn't be looking at diets and those kind of occasions. And I I always. Th- feel like it's important to caveat that that we must be able to differentiate between expectations of people physically so effectively body shaming and the importance of physiological um makeup so the importance of basically your body composition to ensure you're healthy and it's i think the the message is of often kind of diluted between the two you're either telling me i should have a six-pack or you're telling me it's okay to be morbidly obese. And in fact, you know, I, I try to cut the line right through the middle and be like, you can you can be, say, a few pounds, a few kilos overweight and really healthy. And you can be there with your, your six pack and really healthy. No one's saying you're a better or worse person for it. But what is really important is what we're doing with our heart health and obviously our, our bone structure and our muscle, muscular 
tissue. That's really, really important for us. And the, the idea behind four weeks, four kilos is that there is a scientific way in which we can help you lose four kilos. I think on average, people lose about 5.1 kilos in the four weeks. Some people really high. Some people don't even want to lose that much. But four weeks, four kilos is this scientific method which shows you can 100% achieve this. But the importance that this program gives you is the eating behaviors, which perhaps in other programs and other things available, which have been around for ages, have revolved around shaming you about what your weight was or restricting your food diet. And instead of sharing the entire scientific message with you, it's about keeping that secret so you stay on this program for ages and ages and ages and ages. Uh, a, a particular CFO of one of these programs even went and did an interview a handful of years ago and said, our ambition is for people to fail on this program as many times as possible, but to have a really good first experience. So they think their mistake was themselves as opposed to the program. So they stay on it for as long as possible. Whereas for me, four weeks, four kilos is, right, we're going to diet for as short a period of time as possible because dieting's rubbish no <laughs> one wants to be in this miserable kind of phase and instead of restricting foods i'm telling you, you can eat and drink whatever you want it's just about us understanding how the weight loss occurs so then you can take real control over your over your own eating habits over your own mind and your mindful decisions and it's this education which has helped people make lifelong changes you know we're we're now I don't know, probably three years after the very first intake of, of four weeks, four kilos. And people haven't come back because they've still got these tools. Some people do come back. Some people say, oh, I want the accountability of four weeks. You know, they work directly with me and a couple of mentors in the group. And it's just like, this is a really affordable way of working with an expert coach who's going to be doing this all with me along the whole time. And that accountability is all I need. And many people look for that in January, don't they? They just want want something yeah. to give them a, a kickstart. Um, and therefore, that, that's what four weeks, four kilos brings. I think it's just about educating people and allowing them to have all of the skills so they don't need me anymore. Mm. Yeah, but then what would we, what would you do if people don't need you anymore? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we do know <laughs> you would, you would um, narrate children's books <laughs> before we came on. Um, no, I love that. I think it's always a good backup plan. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's good because you're accessible, right? And not everyone has the luxury of being able to afford to have a consultant mm. or an expert on board to talk about, like, diets. Because there is a new trend, I think, is I don't know if it's really new or maybe I've only just caught up on the internet. Um, but you can tailor <laughs> you can tailor a diet around your cycle. Um, yeah. So, what's your thoughts on that? And also, would you encourage aggressive dieting over that time of the month? What would you? What would you think? Yeah, that, that's a fantastic question. You know, that's absolutely brilliant. And I think you've you've just answered your own question in in the fact that you've what you've mentioned and then said, I don't know if it's been around for ages or it's a new trend. This is the exact thing which is missing from you know our school curriculums and all these kind of things. Um, one day I'll be prime minister. I'm sure and I'll change the curriculum. I couldn't do any of that. Um, <laughs> It isn't, it isn't talked about at all, but 
actually, this is just the, the physiological thing that we should be doing. So if, if we look at your menstrual cycle, first of all, so we know that the menstrual cycle massively impacts on energy and motivation. But we know it's not all that bad, actually. So during your ov ovulation phase, you will experience better sports performance, greater motivation, and even better libido. Therefore, we have to capitalize on these moments of your cycle. So for this period of time, you should effectively be thinking, right, if I want to be training for performance, if I want to be losing a bit of weight, if I want to be gaining a bit of weight, I need to focus my time on this section of my menstrual cycle to train harder, to, to perhaps do the things which I find sometimes a little bit harder to motivate myself, whether that's being in the gym, whether that's going for the run or whatever it, whatever the harder aspect is for you. And during that phase, I'm a little bit more, um, I'm a little bit stricter with myself, perhaps. So if I look at um, a, a typical kind of weight loss client, I see a woman who's, you know, pre-menopause and she's looking to to improve her body composition effectively. I would say for those two weeks, we are going to be in a calorie deficit. We are going to diet and we're going to train as hard as we possibly can. When it moves into the luteal phase and we know that our mood and motivation may fluctuate, it doesn't happen for every woman. It's about understanding that we need to take a step back at this point in time. We need to ease up. And when I say ease up, I don't mean just physically, but also be nicer to yourself. Mm. You know, I've I've had so many female clients come to me and they've referred to this period of time as basically being pathetic. And you know what's pathetic is that you've been made to feel like that. Instead, you should be just saying, right, I understand actually physiologically during this phase of my menstrual cycle, it's a little bit harder for me. I'm going to have these sensations of being hungrier, perhaps. And this, this does change depending on um, the individual. So some women find they're hungrier the week before their period, some on the week itself. But it's just having that knowledge, like we talked about right at the start with the cycle, and then saying, okay, during this period of time, I'm going to give myself an extra 200 calories a day. I'm going to eat at maintenance, so basically meaning eating enough to survive you don't gain and you don't lose perhaps I'm even going to eat in a slight calorie surplus just being slightly more forgiving to myself I'm also then going to dial back the intensity of my exercise or perhaps the frequency of my exercise so I don't have such high expectations of myself this doesn't mean that you shouldn't exercise because all of the academic literature basically shows that women who exercise throughout their menstrual cycle experience less of that menopause, um, menopausal menstrual cycle pain and they are greater or feel greater motivation post-exercise you know getting getting to the gym might be difficult but after they've been in the gym they're, they're you know the, the sense of pride and achievement is greater yeah. and understanding that in those two weeks or in that week whenever you're really struggling and we've increased your calories a little bit and we've said okay you don't have to train as hard during this time. Understanding you're not going to go for personal bests with your, your squat or whatever the exercise is that you like to do. And there's a reason, and that's because basically your estrogen has dropped and your progesterone has slightly risen. And you know what? That causes the um, a particular hormone or a particular interaction within your body to stimulate the need for sleep. And you're suddenly like, oh, there's actually a, a meaning for all these things. It's not because I'm pathetic. I just need to say, 
these two weeks I train really hard and then these two weeks I ease back on everything and I'm a little bit nicer to myself and I'm cool to sit on the the sofa for these two days that's absolutely fine and watch something on TV because in the next two weeks I'm then going to be back at it and I'm going to work really hard so when we talk then about how we kind of create weight loss and all those kind of things during your cycle you just focus on two weeks on two weeks off and you also think I'm going to weigh on like for like moments during the cycle mm-hmm. weighing every single week during a menstrual cycle you're going to have water retention up and down all of these things triggered by hormones and therefore it's not actually reflective of all your progress to so just be nice to yourself and arm yourself with those tips Mm. Um, before we do go on to being nicer to yourself because I think that is a huge conversation to be had Mm. Um, and also a lot nicer to others Um, again if we look at women bashing women it tends to to be the root women Mm. tend to be the root of of that don't they where they kind of attack other women Um, and I think again this is why it's great to have this conversation with you as a male performance coach as opposed to a woman um so if if we just go back to your training program yeah um one question that did pop into my mind was like you talk about body composition understanding your body understanding what it needs how to best serve your body to get the best performance right but and we look at these fad diets and maintenance dieting, which actually my granddad, I, did, I didn't even know that that was even the terminology for it, but my granddad is a person, you don't see him snacking. He will literally yeah. have his breakfast, his lunch, and his dinner, and maybe a amount of a dessert or something afterwards, but he doesn't snack. He yeah. only fuels his body with what he needs. Like, And if he's not hungry, he's not the type of person to just eat for the sake of it, right? Yeah. So you have to control, as you said, that is it, um, mindful eating. but nobody wants to spend their life on a diet right because it's just a a diet like that's just not living to me so when is yeah so when is like enough enough where you just have to accept that hey we're not all born the same some people are slender more slimmer than others more some people are broader you know a bit more plumper curvier however you want to define it at what point do you have to sit and say, look, I'm not going to spend the rest of my life on a diet. You know, everything in moderation, okay? Yeah. But, like, you know where I'm going with this, right? Yeah. Like, you can do these diet plans, you can do this fad diet, this aggressive diet, this maintenance eating, but there has to be a point where it's like, you need to live. Yeah. yeah? That that was That is effectively what prompted four weeks, four kilos. It's, it's about basically, you've, you've gone on four weeks, four kilos, you've done your food audit. And you now understand what you eat like and what you've been doing. And you've basically been given these tools, this big toolbox of, okay, I understand now that sometimes historically my behaviors, I would do A, B, or C. And now I have these tools of how can I actually effectively make a decision and never have to think about, oh, I'm going to be on this big diet again, which effectively is is what a large number of people find themselves you know, bouncing around different diets to make it work for them. Instead of ever being given the tools and the science of this works for this, this works for this, this works for this. And the uber interesting thing here is that, well, there's two things actually. First of all, we're always told that yo-yo dieting is a really bad thing and it's a negative. No one's weight 
most things actually in, in the human body don't just stay at this baseline level. We have these slight ups and downs. Yo-yoing within these couple of kilos, that is what maintenance is. Maintenance isn't about staying at one weight. Maintenance is just staying within this, this kind of two lanes worth of, of changes. And that's absolutely fine. And the second thing is, four weeks, four kilos being what many would consider a more aggressive approach to dieting. These greater calorie deficits for really short periods of time have been shown, have been demonstrated in the literature to have a greater effect on long-term dieting or weight effectively. So people who did these really moderate diets found themselves gaining weight greater than what these really short and intense diets did, you know, fast forward 12 months, and they still have only regained a couple of kilos in comparison to the the um, the group who did the traditional moderate diet. And that goes against everything we're taught. And the interesting thing on top of that is that these greater calorie deficits helped reset our hunger signals. And that's what goes back to, was it your grandfather you said, um, who did the um, the maintenance work and they don't snack? And that goes back to this point because why are we snacking? We're snacking out of habit most of the time. Yeah. And instead, we then kind of ruin our own um, system that we have in place by telling ourselves that we're hungry when we're not really. So by resetting mm-hmm. our hunger signals, we suddenly realize that, oh, I wasn't hungry. It's just a mm-hmm. thing I do. And the idea is that in these four weeks that we educate you to understand that and we help you physiologically to reset that. And therefore, yes, you diet for four weeks but that might be the only four weeks you have to do in a year. And therefore, you're not relying on dieting or anything like that. It's about effectively being able to moderate and understand what goes on with your own body and ensuring that you're as healthy as you can be and health considering not just body composition, but mental health as well. Because, you know, in the summer, I went to one of my coach's weddings and, you know this this is the real story this is this is completely what happens for coaches and you know people run businesses and all these kind of things you will put others ahead of yourself when I had to choose my suits I'm a man that loves suits ironically I work in sports so I don't get to wear many of them anymore but I have tons of suits and unfortunately I had a choice of two suits for my coach's wedding and the reason for that was because I wasn't as lean as I was when I got all of my other suits. And that was really, really irritating. And it was the kind of shock that I needed to say like, okay, you've been prioritizing everyone else's health. You need to kind of dedicate yourself to a, a little bit more of, of what you preach. Um, and these these are the real things that occur in people's lives. It's, it's this thing of, you know what, I'm not trying to lose these kilos to have a six pack and lie on Barcelona Beach or something like that. It's about saying, I just really was irritated. I only had a choice of two suits or I found it easier swinging around, you know, in the playground with my three-year-old when I was two kilos lighter than I am now. Those are real life decisions. Once we're, I don't know how old you are, Samana, but once we're past our, in my view, once we're past our kind of 24, 25, it becomes less about the benefits of exercise and nutrition for aesthetics and more yes. about feel that's what it's been like for me oh yeah this oh i just love this conversation there's so many things so many areas to just explore here mm. um because obviously as a performance coach you must feel 
an intense, well, an incredible amount of pressure yourself to maintain a certain way to look, right? Yeah, yeah. But you must have, you know, because if I was to hire you or someone else was to look at you on your, say, Instagram and look at this catalogue of images of you and what you do and how you train your clients, and then they say meet you in real life and you're, I would say, two kilos, because that, I think, is not really a huge, huge amount, I don't think. No, no, that would, that would actually be within your yeah. very, good, very good listening skills there. <laughs> um, that would be within your maintenance, well within your maintenance amount, yeah. It would be more so, like eight, ten kilos. Right, so that would be a considerable amount. So if if I was to say meet you in real life, and I've just had a look at your 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 website, <laughs> your great website that's up to date as we've already done, <laughs> and then this catalogue of images, like I said on your Instagram, looking at the clients, thinking, oh my goodness, you know, I want to look like that. Um, you know, I want to be d- d- trained to that degree or whatever. And then I meet you, and then you're eight or ten kilos over. I'm going to feel a certain type of way because I'm thinking, well, hold on a second. Yeah. This is what you're supposed to be looking like. You're training me. How can I take inspiration and motivation from someone who's probably a little bit over the line? I don't want to be rude, but you know what I'm saying, right? You have to maintain a certain way of looking. Firstly, I want to understand like how you cope with that. And then also you say you get past a certain age. I think men and women are very different i.e. men go through this midlife crisis maybe i don't know if that's any um you know in any relation to that any correspondence with that at all but i think for women um i've just had a baby myself and i think thank you very much um i think i take better care of myself now Hmm. post baby some women go up some women go completely the other way don't they yeah i would say i definitely Nothing to do with breastfeeding, um, though that does obviously play a certain part as to limiting alcohol intake, and then I'm not really very big on, on dairy as it is. But I want to feel my best. And I know that in, say, 10 years' time, you asked how old I am, I'm 32. So when I'm 42, I want to be able to run around, kick a football. I want to run up the stairs. I mean, yeah, she's, you know, she's my everything. And I still want to have those key moments with her. And I don't want to feel out of breath. I don't want to have, you know, extra pounds that's going to restrict my, say, performance. But my over, um, my over- It is performance. Every day, right? And I know that I don't feel my best when I'm sat on the sofa just pigging mm. out on salty, sugary snacks and drinks. Like, it gives me brain fog. It actually increases my anxiety, to be honest. Yeah. It makes me feel really bad. And I always feel, actually, you use that that word pathetic, but that would be the times that I feel most pathetic is because I don't feel like I'm putting myself to best use, Yeah. right? So, like, where is, again, you say, aesthetically, do we diet because we want to look a certain way? Where's the line there, then, like, where it, you think, okay, I need to be fit and healthy because I want to hopefully live till I'm 100. But at the same time, you know, you've got to take a break. You can't be too hard on yourself. There's so many questions here. First and foremost, <laughs> how do you maintain you, the way that you look, obviously with the pressures that are given, and then also where's the line? Yeah, cool. So those are those are two great topics. Um, we'll do a future podcast on them. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it would be, you know. <laughs> Here. It, there is, isn't there? Um, yeah. So, in terms of like me myself, 
that's really really difficult um like I'll, I'll be brutally honest i do go through waves so peaks and troughs of how much i'm dedicating to myself and mm-hmm. i have this horrendous sense of guilt that if i am training or if i'm focusing on myself as opposed to my athletes and my clients i i do really struggle and that's something which you know i've spent the last 12 months trying to improve and it's definitely going to be something that i spend more time next year on um because i basically constantly think oh if i'm spending this hour on me i could be spending that hour on someone else i could be spending that on building the business to make you know make things easier for my family or you know abc there's so many so many different things i don't i don't find myself really um feeling the pressures of social media kind of expectations of oh, personal trainer whatever looks like this and his or their photos are basically of them in their physiques the whole time because i would i genuinely just you know this is probably my my arrogance and my confidence that i was instilled as such a young child but i genuinely just think yeah, you haven't really offered anything to anyone else other than look how great I am. What what struggles are you going through yourself? I would rather spend the time talking about how people could improve, how people can um, support their children, you know, how people can do better with these tools rather than, you know, posting a, a photo of myself. Um, you know, yeah, it's, it's just never been really an interest of mine. I've always been quite um, self-assured in that manner. I, know. I, I do think, sorry to cut you off, it, no. I just, when I see it, this is why I don't follow people like that on Instagram. Yeah. Because what instantly comes to my mind is that you're just so insecure. Yeah. And like, I think it's just like, it's just shocking to me to see guys and girls, you know, posting themselves, like that's the only thing they have to offer is how you look. Like yeah. if someone was posting like images like that, because they're a performance coach, a coach, fitness coach, um, nutritional expert, but then they offer the educational aspect to support it, you know, before and afters, da 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 da. I'd be like, okay, yeah, that's worth follow. But because I don't really see that, and it's very few and yeah. far between, I do. Like, I see that, and I'm just so immediately like put off by that, yeah. and I'm like, actually, you're exactly what I don't want to be because I just. I see them as very vapid, empty people. And I'm, I'm sure I'm going to upset a lot of people who are listening to this. But it's just, I think there should be more to offer about yourself than just the way that, that you look. Yeah, I, I, I genuinely, you know, I've got friends in the industry who, would, who do do this. And it's, um, there are, like everything, there are people on both sides of this. You know, they just... They do have great knowledge and they they are trying to help people and all these kind of things. But I genuinely do feel sorry for some people who have maybe come into the industry in only in the last couple of years and they're quite young and they therefore think this is what the expectation of themselves should be and should be to look like. And I think that's really unfair. And also, <laughs> there's, a, there's a thing, isn't there? There's a, of okay, if you've got all this time to spend <laughs> training, how are you learning? Because... Like I, I used to go on nights out and like, I love a party. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I really like a party. I get in at four or something in the morning and then I would basically sleep for a couple of hours because I don't, I don't generally need much sleep. And I'd wake up before everyone and I'd read a couple of scientific journals because I was like, 
I want to I want to learn more. I want to be more knowledgeable. And that there is this open question all the time. And there's 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 a, a great meme which basically shows the progression of a coach as they move through the ranks and how their 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 body composition basically gets worse and worse and worse because the more time they spend with their athletes and with their clients, the less time they spend on themselves. And that's something which is well known within our industry of that we're trying to change. And I, you know, it's really strong or important to reiterate that these are generalizations and there are people in both of these aspects who offer loads. But there was a study which came out, I think it was last week or the week before, which basically showed all these before and afters, which I've always refused to do. I hate doing that to my clients because I think that just doesn't that just doesn't work with my ethos, to be quite honest. Mm. But showed that this negatively impacted those people who are on a health crusade and decided to start following some fitness accounts. It's obviously a really subjective study, but basically, if such a small thing can put people off from achieving their goals. I'm certainly not going to be part of that camp. And that, you know, that obviously was some reassurance to my belief. So I was probably looking for that, that reassurance that I'm doing the right thing. But I think, I think self-image is only ever a thing when I've, you know, I've had like TV appearances or something like that. And it's just like, I've said, I've said to my, my, my team, I was like, oh, uh, how many weeks can we do that in? You know, <laughs> give me a couple of weeks and, and I'll, I'll go and film that. Um, Cause obviously at the end of the day, I'm ultra human, and it was just like I still want to be a good representation of myself. One of the one of the most dramatic things was that during the lockdown, I went from having massive hair to being like I've got like a number two on shave or whatever now. Because like suddenly, where's all my hair gone? What what happened? I was I was in the house. I didn't do anything wrong here, and that <laughs> that was that was possibly like more devastating to me than anything. Else. <laughs> As I'm, I was fine. As you can probably tell, I I deal with things through humor. Oh, I You're taking it very very well. <laughs> I knew it was going to happen at some point. <laughs> see my family. <laughs> Bless you. So then the second question, the second question was yeah. about um, men and women. When's it right to to stop dieting and kind of focus on health? And when it changes, is that right, Samani? Yeah. 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 Um, I think realistically, you can do as many things extrinsically as possible, mm-hmm. which mean, you know, if, if you're not sure, if you're listening, if you're watching, that means basically like a, a motivation from outside of your goal or intrinsically of what you truly want deep down. Mm-hmm. And as much as you want it extrinsically, you're, you're not going to reach those without finding out the real why. Yeah. And, um, I think there is a shift that occurs usually around um, major life changes. So it doesn't necessarily have a figure and age which it occurs, but something actually occurring in your life. Obviously, there's a small correlation to your age, but you know, childbirth, moving house, moving job, losing loved ones—all of these things generally trigger big changes. And you know, some of the most successful people have demonstrated that actually their their big move for health was in their 50s and 60s well why is that you look at it and they're really successful and to get really successful very often they've had to be um 
isolated away from family, they've had to spend more time in the office or whatever than it has been on their health, and they've seen these negative repercussions. They've had perhaps heart issues or raised uh, cholesterol and blood pressure, all these things. And suddenly you get these C-suite operators who are cycling for four hours before work or running a marathon because they've ticked off a load of these goals already. But guess what? They still have these traits of challenge, adversity, and I must win. Well, if you've done all of your things that you want to achieve in business, then perhaps it's it's almost like an addiction, isn't it? You just yeah. move that addiction to the next next thing, and it's sure going to be better having a, a a want to do a triathlon faster or a, a cycle, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, than it is you know spending your time drinking alcohol and smoking. Mm-hmm. And there's that sense of of the adrenaline because. Mm before you know got into great relationship now had my first child daughter you know I was out mountaineering hiking love getting outdoors like it's for me I'm a Taurus and I speak about this because I'm I'm a Taurus so like I feel like that plays a massive part of the reason why I am my thought process like the way that I look at the world Whatever, that's another, another completely another uh, discussion for another time. But I really love getting outdoors. I'm not yeah. a tree hugger as such, but I do feel that if I've got a lot of stress and a lot of overwhelm, the minute that I go outside, um, and very often now I will put my daughter in the front, like in that, you know, like the carry thing, yeah. and just have a, a really lovely walk in the valley. And I, I, I take it all in and I look at my life and I, you know, by the time I've got back, I, I look at things very, very differently. Um, I've lost my train of thought there. But what I was going to say is that, like, first, first, before we look at how we can stop being so hard on ourselves, I do remember, like, there wasn't a single time when I was pregnant and I was carrying those extra kilos where I felt motivated to want to get out and have a walk or I mm. felt motivated to work out like what about if we're not feeling it you know like and we don't want to like do we do we still have to be hard on ourselves and be like no we need to get out there we need to do this we need to boxes because i would look on instagram and like based on algorithms um i would see like women coming up and then they'd be like doing these yoga flexes and then they'd be out doing like there's some of them are still cycling and like there'd be doing things and then I feel like this guilt as that you you was talking about right when you had your James Bond, Bond moment of putting your suit on and, and and like not feeling the way that you wanted to feel yeah and I had that actually last week when I was interviewing our first guest and I Chris Ross who's you know key factor in all of this our collaboration partner here um I remember pointing out I was just like oh my goodness I need to like I need to lay off the carbs i during pregnancy, like I felt, I felt horrific. Like I felt like a house. And as oh. I was saying, there was, nothing. yeah, I know it's pretty, pretty tra- traumatic. And honestly, there's bigger things going on in the world than a few pounds to gain. But like, at no point did I feel like I want to get out and and feel good and move about and and do any fitness routines. Like for those that are, as we talk about periods, as time of the month, like. What would you say to those women that just aren't feeling it? Do you have to be strict with a routine still? Like- no. No is the, the the real blunt answer. You don't have to be really strict with yourself. And it's about um, 
accepting the position you are in mm-hmm. and then kind of it's, it's very very difficult to do this alone I'm not going to lie because mm-hmm. you have to you really have to take a step back but basically evaluate why are you in this position so people ask me how do I stay motivated all the time I don't stay motivated all the time motivation isn't the first thing in that chain structure is actually the first thing structure and discipline creates motivation this is why you know as humans we feel we get anxiety when there's uncertainty when we don't have structure so go back to lockdown we didn't know when we were going to come out of lockdown all of these kind of things anxiety elevates because we don't have structure so what was the first thing i you know i was going on the radio on tv basically saying right do whatever you can to create structure in your day because that will reduce anxiety it's exactly the same thing here so what can we do to give you some structure without necessarily being really strict and that's going to help your initial sense of anxiety or demotivation as such and gradually give you motivation and what will happen is if you follow some kind of structure so you start feeling a, a sense of accomplishment when you do things motivation goes up as motivation goes up you do more things and it's this cycle then that keeps occurring and occurring and occurring what is really interesting is that we get something called learned helplessness if we step away from this so if we accept that basically it's to like the other extreme of i don't want to do this and I'm not going to do this exercise or do this walk or do whatever it is that you're your thing. Mm-hmm. And you do this for an extended period of time, you get to the point of learned helplessness. And effectively, you lose touch with what it feels like to be doing those things. And then you t- start telling yourself you can't do those things. So to be really, really clear, what I would implement, you know, particularly you said those women who are in this position of lacking motivation, I would mm-hmm. say, look at your week, look at which days you could actually do something, plan it in, write it down hand, not on a, a keyboard or anything like that. Write it with a pen and paper. What days are you going to commit to? When you go out and you say you're, say you're going for a walk, say you're going to do 10 minutes. At 10 minutes, you basically can make the decision of, okay, If I am hating every moment of this, after 10 minutes, I can stop. However, if I've gone for 10 minutes and, yeah, it's not so bad, I might as well just finish whatever I planned, whatever I set out to do, whether it's in the gym. Great, you've done it. And what are you going to think when you've done, oh, well, today I actually did 20 minutes and I said I must do 10. Actually, that feels pretty good. Let's, Let's go again. And next time you go, you're like, I've got to do 10 minutes. Well, you know what? I'm here now, I might as well make the most of this time. Mm. Saturday comes along. I feel awful. I've Say I'm going to the gym, I've parked the car, I've scraped the car. This is really, really, really rubbish. This is a poor start. I'm feeling anxious. You know what? Today is a day where there's been extra stresses which I didn't account for. Have I, have I done everything else in my week? Have I overachieved this week? Theoretically, yes. I need to possibly take a little bit of time for myself to just bring myself back to what feels comfortable. Maybe that's going straight home. Maybe that's you know saying, I'm going to walk to the coffee shop instead of entering those, those um, gym doors and just being like, cool. I had an expectation this week that I'd, I'd do A, B, and C. I managed A and B. 
Is that better than last week? Yeah, it was. Win. You're done. It's just, it's this really awkward fine line between being true to yourself over where you are at right now and also thinking, can I just commit to this 10-minute rule? And pretty much all of us can commit to this 10-minute rule. It's just we're told that we need to exercise for an hour, which we don't. Mm. <laughs> That's actually quite funny you say that because, like, there have been times where, as you say, this, um, you, you kind of forget how good it feels to do something, right? Mm. Or be somewhere or see someone. or So you kind of put it off. Yeah. And I know, like, how good it makes me feel to get out in the open. But there were times when I was pregnant where I was like, I don't want to go out. I just don't want to see anyone. I don't want to do anything. Even though in my mind, I knew how good it really did make me feel. Yeah. And you talk about overachieving. There have also been times where I've done something, you say the 10-minute rule, right? And I might have done 30 minutes. But the next time, sometimes, I have to admit, I'm not the person that will be like, oh, yeah, I did 30 minutes. So next time, I'm going to do 45 I'm like, well, hold on a second. I set out to do 10 minutes. I did 30. So <laughs> the next time, I'm actually just going to do the 10 as opposed to the 10. <laughs> but did you do the minimum requirement? You did. <laughs> exactly. I did the bare minimum. Sometimes I'm happy with just doing the bare minimum because I, I am actually an overachiever in most areas of my life, so I'm totally fine with that. If we move on to looking at external factors of where we can get motivation from and I wouldn't say self-acceptance because they're completely two different things mm. don't do a parallel at all stepping aside from social media if those who I don't know could look for a support group or their own support network or what would you say what would you be your three key takeaways to find motivation um so number one probably number two and possibly number three is effectively accountability. So it's, mm. it's just find yourself, whether it's a friend, a family member, or you need someone independent, um, an accountability group. It, you know, that's something I run. Basically, everyone who does the four weeks, four kilos gets the opportunity to join an accountability group. And they're like, why on earth do people pay you to be part of a group to be kept accountable? And it's like, experience it and then just see what happens to your, to your health and well-being. Because effectively, having someone on a journey with you is an awful lot easier in every aspect of life, whether it's business or whether it's being on a, um, a competitive sports field. Having the knowledge and the reassurance that someone's there to support you is effectively all it takes. That's obviously a cop-out to say that's my one, two, and three, but it's definitely a top number one and number two. If I was to, to rely on something else for motivation, it it has to be the and I'm I'm very into technology I really support technology and you know you've said stay away from or not necessarily stay away you've said ignore social media there is a really good tool of um YouTube though and that is being able to watch something particularly you know YouTube shorts now which gives you a an emotional response so for me <laughs> this is ridiculous I'm sure to, to many of your viewers but I love watching historic sporting moments. The times I cry pretty much are, are only around sports. Um, and therefore, it gives me an, an emotional response. It's not always like jubilation, but it's mm. like a sense of gratitude or a sense of excitement or adversity. And I want to basically recreate that. And therefore, I use YouTube for that, that tool. And I think 
personally, YouTube is very different to to the other aspects of social media because there is there is actually less social interaction, isn't there? Mm. And I think because of that, it takes away some of the pressures which I feel social media does portray and does put on individuals. Um, so one and two is accountability and having a support network. Three has to be finding something which you find motivational, inspirational, but most importantly gives you an, uh, um, an emotional response on video that you can just rely on. I used to do this with a swim group. I used to coach all the time. We had a 15-minute um, motivational video that I had to watch. They didn't have a clue who those people were, but they could relate to the positions that were in those those videos, and it worked. It helped them train harder. One and two. I mean, I love accountability, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'll let, you, that, that's, I'll let you get away with that. I'm huge on accountability and taking responsibility for your own actions. Mm. I think a lot of people, yeah, I mean, a lot of people find it so easy just to pass the blame. And I think COVID really, well, that it just accelerated all of that. And I think it, it was much easier to pass the blame to others as opposed to just stepping back and saying, hey, um, I'm not where I really want to be because of COVID. Um, I gained a few pounds because of COVID. Or, you know, everybody was in this, this the situation together, right? just wasn't real was it It so weird i know it's you know i don't really want to get too far deep into conspiracy theories here because a lot of people (laughs) you know it's just very sore sensitive subject of course um but lastly finally thank you very much arsh for coming on my pleasure you've been featured in the stylist bbc the guardian and now of course be your own Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. So, you work with some amazing clients. What's next for you? What have you got coming up? I know you've talk, talked previously about your program, Four Weeks, Four Kilos. What else is in the pipeline? Yeah, so I've got real ambitions, really, for Performance Physique, the business. Um, the, the overriding goal, really, is to help as many people as possible um, and to, to bring clarity to the to the sector of health and fitness. I think it's an area which really at the moment is struggling with true authoritative voices which have knowledge. Um, So whether that looks like a book or whether that looks like loads of programs and uh, online coaching opportunities for 2023, they're all in the pipeline. They're all things I want to do. It's just where the, the time kind of gravitates towards. Obviously, there is a big concern over the economy and affordability of things. So I am kind of in this early stages of planning um, for some running groups, which will be online and and free, basically. So people can have a – running is a, a big passion of mine. And effectively, people can learn and develop their own running with, a, a, again, a coach like myself for a, a very, very, very low charge or even a completely free aspect. So I think look out, keep posted on our, our social media platforms to say, yeah, this is coming. Join mailing lists. We are going to open the waiting list for the January four weeks, four kilos within the next two weeks. Um, so people will be able to find that. If you just go to fourweeks4kilos.com and it will mm-hmm. take you to to the page. Um, but there's loads coming and um, hopefully we'll be in, involved in the, some projects in the future as well, Samana. Good, 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 good. I'll keep my ears to the ground. Sounds fabulous. Thank awesome. you. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming on today, talking on Be Your Own Arch. It's been absolutely brilliant. Such an eye-opener. And I just feel like we've got so much more to discuss. But maybe there might be there might be another show. Who knows? 
Excellent. Let's do it. <laughs> you have your own show. Yes. Why not? <laughs> yeah. um, again, thank you very much, Arch. It's been absolutely brilliant having you today on Be Your Own. And I'll catch you soon. Ace. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.